0: Welcome everyone to the Compass live stream. Uh, we have two amazing guests uh, this uh, today for this afternoon's live stream, um, talking about something a little bit different—not uh, ASIC markets or hosting uh, facilities, um, but talking about uh, the public mining market. We've covered this a little bit in prior streams, uh, but it's been a bit. Um, we're excited to return to this sort of the sphere of the industry. Uh, before we get the guests to introduce themselves and jump into some conversation. Uh, as always, shout out to my co-host, Will. Uh, Will, thanks for being here. Excited for this conversation.
1: Totally, Zach. Thanks for setting us up. Public markets are not something I think a lot of us think about when we think about Bitcoin mining. I think we're basically just considering the machines or hashing or how to like stack more sats and through mining. But public markets are obviously something that really more miners should consider going forward and the dynamics they play with the industry itself. So excited to have these two guests kind of speak to that side of the whole market.
0: Yeah, for sure. And definitely lots of money flowing around in public mining uh, spheres right now, um, which sort of adds importance to it as well. Uh, But David and Wes, thank you both for coming on the stream. Huge honor to have you both here. Um, huge respect for both of the things you guys are building and just your experience in the space as well. Um, if you don't mind giving our audience uh, just a brief introduction to yourselves, what you're building, um, and sort of how your journey gets through the Bitcoin and mining space to to where you are now, um, just by way of introduction. Uh, Wes, I'll pass it to you first, and then David also.
2: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Um I came to this business, I guess, through sort of traditional financial markets, started in asset management and then spent about a dozen years as an investment banker up here in Toronto. And in 2016, sat through my first CFA lunch on uh, sort of a teaser to Bitcoin and sort of uh, became an advocate and enthusiast ever since. Uh, Hung up my banking hat in in 18 to lead uh, what was first a private company and then uh, eventually a public company in two separate markets now traded on the NASDAQ and the TSXB, which is Bitfarms as CEO, um, sort of scaled that business to about uh, almost, almost an exahash by the time I left. And uh, earlier this year, joined uh, joined a couple of partners and launched a registered investment advisor in the US called Verity Funds, uh, started trading our first ETF on the NYSE in July, which is the Verity Cleaner Energy and Semiconductor ETF. Um, so I've been trading for about three months. It's an actively managed product, really investing in the infrastructure that underpins this network, you know, process of clearing and validating trades. And uh, in addition to the semiconductor companies producing the chips that go into these this mining hardware. So pleased to be here.
0: Awesome, David. Pass it to you. Also, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on, how you came uh, to Bitwise, and uh, yeah, the products that Bitwise has uh, with regard to to mining.
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me, Will and Zach, Les, great meeting you. Um, so I'm David, I'm the director of research at Bitwise. We're an asset manager focused on crypto, we manage over a billion and a half dollars uh, in assets today, and our primary audience is uh, what we call professional investors, uh, mostly financial advisors. More recently, we've been expanding to uh, other types of professional investors as well, such as like head funds and and, and institutions. Um, I got I, I also share a traditional finance background like Wes. I used to work as a sell-side equity research analyst. So I used to be one of those guys who used to analyze stocks and write reports, like buy the stock, sell the stock. I worked on a bunch of... Uh, IPOs and other types of equity offerings as well. I just took over Latin American stocks. I'm originally from Brazil, born, born and raised there. Uh, I got into Bitcoin because I was interested in things like cost training economics and 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 sound money and th- those sort of things uh, quite earlier, uh, quite before uh, learning about Bitcoin. So that's how it kind of slowly grew on me. Uh, and then I decided to make to make the shift. That's how I moved to the US. <laughs> Uh, and I, I worked at another uh, crypto asset manager called Hashtags, which is uh, based in Brazil, based in Latin America. And I joined Bitwise in early 2020. So uh, we have at Bitwise. We have um, a bunch of uh, funds that have exposure to the crypto asset space. We have a pretty strong indexing slash ETF uh, background, especially among our leadership and maybe more relevant to this question, uh, maybe more relevant to this chat is that we have an index that tracks the crypto equities market. So these are stocks that have some sort of exposure to the uh, to the crypto market.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Um, I think both of these products, uh, although to, to different degrees, offer uh, tools, I guess, to get exposure to, like you mentioned, David, in some cases, the public crypto market in general, but also uh, mining uh, more specifically um, in many cases. And obviously with uh, the RIGS uh, fund mining almost exclusively. Um, I kind of want to set the tone for the conversation with by by kicking off with like an omitted question Um, just from your your two perspectives, managing these different products and looking at, I mean, compared to even just a year ago, like all of the different listings we've seen on, I guess, primarily the NASDAQ uh, for public mining companies specifically and on other uh, exchanges for uh, crypto more generally. What's your sort of pulse or temperature reading for Public crypto and mining uh, markets—is um, it healthy? Is it super frothy? Are um, things like just gearing up, or sort of in the later stage of you know this current bullish cycle, or any anything anywhere in between? Um, curious to know your thoughts, uh, David. I'll hand it back to you, and then and then Wes also definitely want to know your opinion and outlook.
3: Yeah, sure. No, we're, we're very excited. Maybe I, if, if I can, maybe I'll just start with the crypto market in general, because I think they share a lot of dynamics with the uh, mining market more uh, specifically. But we, we actually even wrote a white paper a, few, uh, a month or two ago uh, uh, on, on these dynamics. And we do see investors interested in crypto equities basically for two reasons. One of them is because they want to have exposure to crypto, indirect exposure to crypto. That's probably less the case right now that we're starting to see Bitcoin ETFs, kind of imperfect ETFs, but still uh, uh, exposure to Bitcoin ETFs uh, being approved. But uh, we were seeing investors who want to have exposure to uh, these stocks because they are an indirect way to have exposure to Bitcoin or crypto, which is kind of true. I mean, if you look at correlations and these kind of things, correlations are pretty high uh, with, with crypto in general. But I feel like the reason why I think this market is especially interesting, and I think the miners are uh, a very special case here, is that cryptocurrencies is a very interesting industry in and of itself. I mean, this is on one of the industries that has been growing the. The fastest this year, uh, we made an analysis uh, considering that if, if crypto were a sector within the S&P 500, which is the broad uh, large cap market index here for, for the U.S., uh, there's no crypto company there, nor even Coinbase is, is part of that index. But uh, if crypto were part of that, that index, nine of the 10 largest growth companies would be crypto companies. And, and the other company is Moderna. So like this is an industry that grows exceptionally fast, especially for public, uh, market, uh, type of, type of investors. But what makes it really interesting is that it's also a very profitable industry. Usually when you think about tech companies that grow very fast. You think about companies that lose money you don't think about companies that are ha- highly profitable and crypto is kind of those both things and mining is kind of that on steroids right because i feel like mining provides not only indirect exposure to the bitcoin price but also leverage in that uh, as as you can know you guys know way better than i do these companies are able to mine a Bitcoin for a fraction of maybe twenty five percent of the current price of a bitcoin. So not only you have that, but you also have this leverage component. So I'm very excited about this industry. I mean, there's a bunch of dynamics I'm sure I'm gonna touch on, but but overall, I'm super positive on it
2: yeah I, i'm not I'm not really sure where to start with this question it's 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 a pretty big one. Um, I, I think at at Bitfarms we were. Probably the fourth, uh, in terms of lineup publicly listed global equity in the sector. Um, historically, people have used the miners as a proxy for underlying exposure to BTC. And certainly with the evolution of, of the Bitcoin ETF, uh, in Canada in February with, with purpose and evolve being first out of the gate. Um, and now in the U S with these futures projects or futures ETFs, um, I think there is, uh, obviously other ways to play it and in the emergence of coin shares and others. Largely speaking, the vast majority of, of miners in the public markets have gone um, through the back door uh, in terms of a listing by an RTO, like the takeover, reverse takeover of uh, of an already reporting and uh, issuer that meets all the regulatory standards of the exchange that they're listing on. Um, and. Uh, you know, I, th- I think now we're starting to see sort of more, more organic, like IPO based or up listings that are going through the front door with some of the regulators and, and which is a, which is a blessing on its own. It's what we did with Bitfarms at through the OSC in, in July of 2019. Um, and that proxy for BTC through the miners is that, you know, digital asset exposure on their balance sheets, the underlying torque to the commodity, and then ultimately the, the, um, you know the impressive sort of industrial operating business that certainly in in its current day where you're able to produce BTC if you're running like low cost power and best gen hardware at like 90% gross mining margins like uh, revenue or or BTC rewards less power spend so it's a it's an attractive business and and with that comes an attractive multiple right now these yes i think that the markets with certain names are somewhat frothy there's like we're starting to see the Re, re, uh, like miners my, and research analysts revisiting historical multiples like enterprise value to megawatt, which makes absolutely no sense when you're talking about like the value of a megawatt. The varying infrastructure build-out costs, the varying power, the varying types of equipment being used. Where, you know, I think what we'd love to all love to see in the public markets, anyways, is this transitioning to more like a fundamental valuation, where you're you're actually doing this on real term cash flow, like multiples of EBITDA, multiples of revenue, multiples of earnings. And and I think it will evolve certainly as the sector diversifies as there's more entrance. Um, but you know, it's 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 definitely exciting times. There's there's sort of limitless access to capital it seems like out there that being said you go back to march i think it was march of 2021 where you saw coinbase begin its trading debut um i think people cycling out of some of the miners over those first few trading sessions into names like coinbase at, at an insane valuation that didn't hold uh, certainly the pre-marketing valuation um it, it's sort of demonstrative of the fact that the sector there, there isn't Massive capital, endless capital, behind some of these public equities, and when when there are new names that emerge, you can see the the capital flows out of out of you know, names that may have been in favor last week into the new sort of latest trend, um, and ultimately, you know, as this sector sort of evolves and hits an equilibrium where mining economics normalize, we all, we all know that they're likely not going to sit at forty cents per hash for the long term, um, you know. Uh, Opportunistic entrepreneurs and businesses will respond to market conditions by growing their ops and that will increase hash rate, and that will sort of reduce your share of the overall network compute and impact your revenues and your profitability. So um but the one thing that is prevalent and certainly applicable to our active strategy with rigs is that I think there are a lot of even even to this day, Four years after the four and a half years after the emergence of the first publicly listed company in the in in the global markets being being hive up here in Canada um, there are some very I think evident mispricings in the market that we're focused on exploiting through an active strategy underweighting what we believe to be or sorry underweighting what we believe to be dogs or overvalued companies and and overweighting those that, that should be stellar performers going forward
1: Totally. I love all that background. And I actually want to take an even further step back and kind of talk about ETFs, SBACs, and index funds in general, just to try to understand why these mining vehicles exist and why mining is becoming more and more financialized. So if we can just take another step back and explain, maybe Wes will start off with you, why would a mining corporation want to put itself into this position where it can go public and what are some benefits from going public?
2: Um, (laughs) I've I've been asked this question many many times as a as a former banker over over the dozen years I was sitting in a banking chair and the fact is like I would never recommend a business enter the public markets if they don't have to ultimately it's about just just given the governance the continuous disclosure um, opening your registry your shareholder registry up to a bunch of, of of new names new owners that you have no idea who they are where they sit and how how much effort is going to be required to effectively babysit them respond to inquiries and and just just make sure that they're well informed of the vision of the company what's what's transpired to date and current and what's going forward so i think um you know, just just really the justification justification for going to the public markets is liquidity. If you've got early stage shareholders that are looking to monetize a position or or sort of reduce their exposure to your business, um, and and certainly a lot of private market financings have liquidity provisions in in early round investments and term sheets that, that require companies to pursue listings and and liquidity events within certain timeframes, and the other. I think single biggest motivating factor, especially in today's day and age and throughout 2021 and, and throughout 2017 and a little bit in sort of the first half of 2019 is capital, access to capital, right? You've got, um, what seems to be endless access to capital. You saw a ton of, uh, financing certainly in the, in the first and second half. You've seen some, some SPACs, which is really just like a, a blind pool of like hundreds of millions of bucks on a balance sheet looking for a qualifying acquisition, all pursuing um, mining RTOs or, or mining uh, listings right now, mining transactions m So you've got, you've just got capital, which when you're out looking to outpace network growth and maintain your market share, increase your market share, especially when there are big ticket items, i.e. hardware required to scale an operation, you need to be um, shoring up your balance sheet on a regular basis to continue to expand, to continue to grow your profitability or cash flows.
1: Totally. And David, I, really quick, I want to give it to you just to understand an index fund for, for these mining markets. Like why would I want to get a weighted basket of goods that operates as a stocker or something like that?
3: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, today in the market, there's of course many different strategies. And I think some strategies make sense some investors other different strategies make sense for for other investors uh what we we at bitwise as offered now we're we're, we're pretty focused on indexing so our our index for the crypto uh, equities market is basically an index that is market cap weighted uh and it has a few caps and in a methodology that i'm i'm happy to discuss but the idea here is to represent the market so like uh, by, by, by having exposure to an index like our crypto equities index, uh, we don't make bets like the one, uh, West does and which, which are very interesting and, and, and can generate a lot of alpha and, and, and a lot of, uh, interesting returns to, to investors. But our philosophy is a little bit different in that. We don't say, I'm going to buy this this miner or I'm going to sell this miner because I like this one less or like this one more. We have an index methodology that we follow. Uh, So you can think of it as like an example in the traditional market would be the S&P 500, which is like a broad market cap uh, U.S. exposure or... Uh, xlf which is exposure to the financial sector right so that's basically what we do for for the crypto market uh one interesting thing i believe about miners is that right now miners is the biggest segment in our index and uh it's it's about a third uh of of, of the whole uh index weight uh we have seven miners uh that are a part of our index including bid and uh i i think it makes Sense for 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 a lot of miners to come to the market exactly for the reason that Wes mentioned, which is access to capital. This is a capital-intensive business. This might very well be the most capital-intensive business in crypto. So I think having this direct access to to capital is something that could be uh, a competitive advantage for 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 many of these companies.
0: That's that's a perfect segue, David, into something I want to talk about next. And I'm actually going to hand it right back to you because there, like you mentioned. I think it would be interesting to sort of explore a little bit of the different strategies slash, slash methodologies uh, for uh, the Verity product and the Bitwise Index products. Um, could you, before we get to to West David, could you just explain a little bit more, maybe um, the methodology that is is steering the index towards such a heavy uh, mining exposure right now, um, and just the, the methodology behind your index in general?
3: Yeah, totally. Uh, more than happy to. So the, the way our, our index works is uh, that it has basically two leaves. Uh, the first leaf is what we call the tier one companies, and these are companies that we screen as company that we call having pure exposure to crypto. This is eighty five percent of the index, and these are we we have some criteria for a company to to be called pure play, but it's usually having. Things like seventy-five percent plus of its revenue coming from crypto activities. Uh, I mean, of course, the miners would all fall into that category, but you can also think of companies like Coinbase, uh, MicroStrategy. So we also have uh, a, a threshold uh, of 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 Bitcoin holdings or crypto holdings after which a company can qualify. Uh, so so this is the tier one part uh, of our index. There are twenty companies in that uh, sleeve. And we have another sleeve that we call auxiliary or supporting exposure. That's 15% of the index. We have 10 companies here. So here you can think of companies like maybe uh, Square or maybe PayPal. These are companies that are involved in crypto, but that don't necessarily derive most of their uh, economic activity out of crypto. We reconstitute our index every three months, which is kind of normal for for equity indexes. So every three months, we uh, roll the the whole methodology again uh, under these parameters, I've said. We have a few caps. So uh, tier one companies, they usually tend to stay at around 10% most of the index. Uh, Tier two companies, they tend to stay at around 4% or actually even less uh, for the index. But that's how basically it works. And, And other than that, uh, it's basically uh, a market cap weighted index. So throughout the quarter, uh, basically, it's uh, whatever the market movement uh, takes takes these companies. That's very, very interesting.
0: Um, I actually didn't know there were those two, two different sleeves, uh, uh, but thanks for that explanation. Um, Wes, I want to hand it over to you also, obviously, as sort of a, a mining exclusive product. Um, I think we can throw up on the screen really quick, just a quick snapshot of your current allocations. I don't want to ask you to, you know, leak all of your alpha here, but I'm curious to know like your strategy behind your current, like your current allocations um, and just your your strategy in general for the, for the RICS fund. If you, if you can explain that for us at kind of a high level.
2: Yeah. Like, look, I think in the ETF world, uh, an index-based product is sort of commonplace. Uh, you know, so we, we have a, a background and a history through myself and and partners in in the mining sector, like with hands-on sort of build and operational experience, married with financial markets. Um, so that we, we we chose an active strategy, just given the fact that there are some evident mispricings and and part of the blessing and the curse of running an actively managed project product is that there are various sort of SEC portfolio diversification guidelines we have to adhere to. So um, there's, a, there's a 25% rule where none of your positions can be greater than 25% of total AUM. There's a 50% treasury rule where um, the sum of all of your 5% plus positions can't be greater than 50%. And then there's just an overall sort of like Uh, market cap, liquidity thresholds for every name you own. And when we launched this product on July 20th, um, you know, the sample set of potential investments and holdings within the fund just wasn't, As great as certainly we would we would desire or uh, appreciate long term, Um, the sector has been evolving with with you know GreenEdge and Mossen and sort of new new uh, public listings that have debuted since launch and certainly those on the come, and the portfolio will I think go more pure play crypto mining um, less less semiconductor semiconductor allocations as you're seeing in the fund today which is about 20% of our AUM. um just just because that was that's what the product was intended to be um and then you know another caveat being the fact that when you look at these names you know marathon a year ago is a fraction of what it was what it is today and what it will be in 12 months' time. The same could be said for HUD8, for, for, for BitFarms, for Greenwich, for everybody you're seeing in the sector. It's a new sector, it's a nascent marketplace. Um, we can't penalize Operations for what they're running today. We're really trying to do this on a forward looking basis, 12 months out, looking at equipment orders, operational expansions, and trying to forecast out mining economics at a point in time, 12 months from now, to look at valuation multiples to select our sort of top holdings. And in addition to that, we layer on an, an energy screening uh, to the names that we focus on. So 80% of the funds uh, in allocated to the crypto mining pure play companies that meet those revenue tests for associated revenue generated from mining have to be allocated towards green energy-based operations that pass an internal sort of scoring matrix that we've designed um, but uh, again caveat being it's not today it's 12 months from now just given how fast some of these companies are evolving um and we have to we have to do this on a forward-looking basis because you don't want to penalize a group inappropriately if they're a new entrant and they've got a big balance sheet, they've got equipment secured, and they're going to be a much bigger sort of force going forward. For sure.
0: That makes that makes a lot of sense and a lot to unpack there. Um, I don't know if we have time for all of that, but I appreciate that overview from both of you. I kind of want to touch on something we mentioned a little bit ago earlier in the conversation, though, um, that being these mining equities for a select subset of investors serving as just sort of indirect exposure to Bitcoin. Um, And uh, where I'm going with this question is obviously we've seen a futures Bitcoin ETF approved and trading now. And I'm curious how you guys sort of think of, I guess, maybe the maturation of the market or just maturation of the broad set of crypto slash mining slash other Bitcoin investors in general. Whether like a, a Bitcoin ETF, futures ETF, and then fingers crossed for maybe a spot ETF in the future, um, competes I guess indirectly with your products, um, or if you know they're apples and oranges and they all have their sub- different subsets of investors and sort of their spot in the portfolio, and they don't really compete. Um, just your thoughts, I guess, in general on the state of crypto ETFs now that we have a Bitcoin futures ETF, and you know whether or not there is sort of any uh, direct or indirect competition um, with your products. Uh, Wes, I'll hand it back to you. And then David, definitely curious to hear your thoughts also.
2: Yeah. So certainly a product I'm familiar with being up here in Canada. In February, we saw... I think it was Purpose First. Uh, Again, I haven't discussed this narrative for quite some time. But Purpose First and Evolve a day later. And Purpose, you know, three weeks out, was sitting on almost a billion in AUM. And Evolve had like 30 million in AUM. So there's that significant first mover advantage in a spot. ETF, our digital asset ETF. Um, we saw the the ProShares and then Valkyrie futures ETFs launch last week. Um, certainly interesting to see the the volume, the price performance would sort of um, trend as you would expect it to as a highly correlated product to BTC price movements. Um, I think the futures ETF product. I mean, there's pros and cons. One, it's it's an evolving. I don't I don't want to say. Sort of financialization, but it, but it's just just another option for those uh, desiring to get exposure to digital assets within a sort of registered vehicle in their um, Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan like investment account. W- buying it through their retail advisor, there, there, it's just another option to play this play play the commodity play, play the asset class, which is a which is a benefit. But again, this is a financially settled. Um, you bet on a certain direction and price movements, um, a financial derivative on top of the spot commodity, which which doesn't necessarily result in any more sort of long-term buying of the underlying commodity, which would be very different than a spot ETF, right? So, pros and cons. Um, it, the, I think one of the interesting developments you're, you're seeing is the uh, the grayscale sort of commentary and, and uh, press release last week where they're... Talking about converting a closed-end fund to an ETF, which, 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 to me as an asset manager, desiring to accumulate AUM and ultimately build a fee stream for the investment manager, seems kind of unfathomable. You've you've got you know a product that's managing almost six hundred fifty thousand BTC at a two percent fee, where people cannot redeem with the issuer. That's an infinite fee stream. And if this goes, if if BTC goes to 500k a million bucks a coin that is a very 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 valuable business but ultimately they've got shareholders and significant owners of gbtc to deal with that are basically you know twisting their arms demanding that they convert so they have more liquidity options just outside of uh, you know the OTC Sales method through that's available today. So they 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 want more liquidity. It's trading at a discount. It has been trading at a discount ever since you saw the Bitcoin ETF emerge and and start trading here in Canada. Um, We're optimistic there will be a a near-term approval for uh, a spot ETF here in the U.S. markets in the near term. But but again, um, from a regulatory standpoint, you know, approving a product that is. Regulated by the CFTC, trading on the CME. Uh, you know, you're sort of passing the buck as the SEC to to another body from a regulatory standpoint, not really owning the approval themselves. So it's it's. Uh, I think it's an easy first step to be to be determined or to be seen whether or not we see something in their term on the spot side, but you know, long term the spot. Bitcoin or Ethereum or diversified ETF will be will be better for price appreciation and sort of the, the, the supply, soaking up the supply side that we see that comes day to day.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree with you there on that last note. Uh, sort of a bullish catalyst for the market. I think we just see that evidenced by the massive inflows into the market uh, over the past month or so. Um, but David, same question to you, I guess. Curious to know your thoughts on I guess, like the, the complementary versus competitive nature of all these different uh, structured products coming into the crypto public market and just how you see all of these different products entering the market and relating to each other.
3: Yeah, 100%. And I totally agree in that uh, the Bitcoin futures ETF approvals that we have seen and that we'll probably continue to see uh, going forward are they're, they're a step in the right direction. And, and I think one thing that is interesting is that uh, although this is not the ultimate product that a lot of the industry and probably most of investors would would like to have, which would be uh, a Bitcoin spot ETF, I think it's also important to mention that this was the fastest or or the most successful ETF launch in history. Uh, this uh, the the the, the pro shares ETF was able to uh, outperform GLD, which was the fastest uh, uh, asset gathering ETF in history. And this is a record that has been around for 17 years. So I, I think one very interesting takeaway from this is that there is actually interest for having exposure to Bitcoin through a ticker through through a through a product that has a ticker and that slots in well into many professional investors' work streams. Uh, there was, I mean, a lot a lot of people, especially the more crypto saving people, would say, hey, why why do you need a Bitcoin ETF, right? And to just go to an exchange or whatever else and just buy it. But it turns out that for for many investors that's 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 interesting. And 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 I think I can totally understand. I mean these are a lot of the investors that we talk to. Uh, we have been doing surveys with financial advisors for uh, almost four years now asking measuring their attitudes towards 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 bitcoin and crypto and we always ask well, what is your preferred way to have exposure to this asset class and the answer number one by far like 70-80 percent is always ETF is always an ETF. So to I, I mean for us it's this is not that much of a surprise, but I think it's it's a nice confirmation that there is demand for having exposure to Bitcoin through those types of, of products, I also agree that I mean there's there's a number of quirks with having a futures based uh, ETF product uh, for for investors as well. I mean there are like carrying costs and rolling costs in that there is a chance that this product will not. That actually, there's a high chance that this these products will not track the price of spot Bitcoin uh, uh, very well. So. Imperfect product, but a step in the right direction. Uh, And and what I would say is that in terms of differentiating, like uh, I'm going to call Bitcoin and and the Bitcoin miners, I think one interesting thing, and, and I think circling back a little bit to what I said in the beginning, this is a very interesting industry in and of itself. So it not only provides this leverage to the spot Bitcoin price, but it has this very unique combination of growth and profitability. And, and as, as, as Wes mentioned, I mean, very different business model. So, like, I think the largest uh, listed Bitcoin miner is probably Marathon with over $5 billion of market cap. The smallest is probably Fortress with 50 million. So, this is a wide range here of types of companies, and they're very different in terms of size terms of uh, verticalization strategy around whether they hold or sell their, their Bitcoin, around how they establish your business, how they think about capital structure. So this makes up to me as a very uh, interesting sector and, and like super uh, that, that is super compelling for, for investors to link, look into and either have beta exposure through, through an index or look for alpha. And, and try to differentiate these, uh, these
2: companies.
1: As to echo your thoughts on the ProShares listing, that was a huge day for volumes. It was second all-time for an ETF launch, right?
3: Yeah, I, I think it was the second all-time uh, first day volume, and it was the first ETF to reach a billion dollars. So GLD took three days to reach a billion dollars. ProShares did it in two days. Yep.
1: I yeah, think it just kind of right. speaks to demand for that market, which kind of leads me to a question that we've kind of been passing over um, the conversation so far, and that's how should pleb miners be looking at investing in these products if they're how should they be valuing uh, whether it's an ETF an index or or something in between? What should they be valuing? Is it based on benchmark? Should they be kind of allocating based on different strategies that you guys already have in mind? Uh, be really interested to get. Your thoughts on how club miners should value public mining stocks. David, I'll actually throw it back to you first, but Wes, really interested to get your thoughts.
3: Yeah, definitely. So for um for Bitcoin miners specifically, I agree with what what Wes has said. I mean, these are companies that are a lot easier to measure or to find a fair value estimate versus something like Bitcoin, which is a commodity. So a lot of the methodologies that we already have for companies, uh, commodities companies, I think they apply here. Uh, you You can do multiples, you can do full DCF analyses, and you can go into different levels of detail, as much as you want to go and, and as further down as, as you want to go. Uh, what I would say is that one one thing I find interesting is that for a lot of these miners, there's quite a lot of information. So you can go relatively granular in your analysis here. So you can do uh, a simple analysis like uh, EV to, to megawatt. Uh, or EV to hash rate, which is a very simple way to look at how these companies compare. But for investors who want to go deeper, definitely the information is out there for them to understand how these companies are different, how their returns on capital are different, and then start to look into more uh, into more detailed and and granular multiples. I'm a big fan of cash flow multiples, so I think you should go all the way down uh, to to try to understand where 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 the fair value is coming from. Uh, that's that's kind of what what I used to do as well uh, before moving to to the crypto world. But uh, that's 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 what I would say. I mean, a, a lot of the frameworks that are used for uh, regular stocks, they, they they basically apply here. The only difference is that it's a more cyclical market. The underlying commodity, Bitcoin, is more volatile than most of the other commodities around. But other than that, I think it's pretty much the same same frameworks.
1: Awesome. And Wes, I'll give it to you. I don't know if we come back to you in a second. Oh, never mind. He'll jump back in a moment. Zach, I'll throw it to you for the next question, though. Maybe when Wes comes back, we can pitch him the same question though
0: yeah yeah for sure uh i, I guess i kind of want a little bit of a follow up on on that question but um I wanted to get Wes's opinion. I'm sure he'll be back in a minute. But David, I'm curious if like the weightings of your index, like surprise you at all, I guess, because you mentioned, you know, I, I think you said like over a third or, or something like that has exposure to mining uh, right now. Um, and I, I know you adjust them. You said every quarter roughly, or maybe it was every six months. Uh, but does, are you surprised at all? Or is it just sort of, you know, kind of an expected function of both the bullishness of crypto generally, and then also, you know, more specific to mining, the huge shift in hash rate from China to the U.S. and obviously a hugely bullish climate on mining in North America uh, right now. Um, but yeah, is it, is it a surprise to you or, or what are your thoughts generally on that sort of allocation?
3: Yeah, no, great question. I mean, these, these things are always easier to, to, to think in hindsight, right? Uh, I'm not sure if I would have predicted that, that the miners would do so well. Uh, before the the China ban or, or or anything like that, but I mean, if considering the path and 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 how the market has evolved, I would say that it it hasn't surprised me much. I mean, on one hand, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of these miners to be listed, uh, it is probably one of the industries. Uh, in Bitcoin and crypto, that, that does make a lot of sense to have this access to to capital. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not surprised that this is the first industry that had uh, a bunch of listed players. Um, it is great that this, in I mean, at least Western miners, they got the gift of a lifetime, right? You guys know this better than I do uh, with, with, with the China ban. So it's kind of a perfect storm uh, for them with, with Bitcoin prices where they are. Uh, competition for 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 mining at relatively low or, or, or favorable levels. And and that's kind of uh, speaks a lot to how fast this 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 industry is growing again. I mean if you take like these companies like Marathon and Riot, I mean if you look like first half of, of last year, these companies were making like two, three million dollars of revenue. Now they're making like 30, 30, 35 million. And then if you look going forward, we're talking about companies that have two or three extra hashes per second that they're moving to something like ten to fifteen, and these are the large caps. I mean, the the, the smaller companies are growing even faster. So I think if you told me that uh, right after the uh, China Chinese mining ban, it's it's a great moment for 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 Western or especially American miners. I think. I would say yes. I think that's that's a pretty straightforward conclusion, but the extent to which these companies benefited, I think, to me was was a surprise and how fast the hash rate moved back and how these companies continue to ramp up uh, their capacity. I think that that was a pretty positive surprise and and, and drew uh, I think a lot of the strong price performance that we're seeing right now.
1: Wes, I want to pitch you the question I asked. David, a second ago, when you're looking at public mining stocks or just even Bitcoin adjacent stocks in general for miners, how do you choose to kind of weigh your positions or how would you advise someone to weigh their positions and like valuing these stocks?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, I would largely say that the rubber hasn't hit the road yet with a lot of these equities. You know, a lot of the growth's on the come and uh, those sort of fundamental like Buffett style. The CFA-driven like cash flow analysis, multiples analysis. There, it's tough, right? It's the wild, wild west. You've got a sector that if you've got a bunch of untested management teams, and you're really out there trying to, um, you know, generate a certain amount of faith in their ability to deliver. And these hard workers are real. And when they when they do land in North America, wherever they're built or building. They have the ability to rack them and have decent uptimes and have like good infrastructure to support the long term sort of cash flow generation capabilities of this hardware. Um, that being said, like there there are good teams that have real infrastructure and good sort of service providers, contractors out there scaling equipment and and have or operations that have been at this for a number of years and do have the ability to scale in a significant way and drive significant cash flows. I think we all know, again, back to some of the earlier comments I made that like $0.40 cents rev per terahash long-term in an industrial scale business, like people are people are capitalists at the end of the day. It's assuming that this semiconductor chip glut sorts itself out with new foundries stood up over the next two or three years, and obviously billions and billions of dollars required uh, to support that, but... Um, you know, uh, mining hardware production will ramp and hash rates will increase and they will respond to market conditions In long term, you know, people will need to be able to drive up businesses will need to be able to drive like reasonable paybacks and returns on investment like and, and historically, I think anybody that scaled operations in recent years has always been looking to do like a one year payback on their equipment investment. That's sort of what's led the, the the benchmark threshold amongst operators. Um, you know, moving back to early this year when prior to this minor China ban and you know historical network highs in terms of hash rate and BTC trading at, you know, a third of where it is today, or or 40% of where it is today. Um, you know, buying hardware at 90 bucks a terahash was in my view, a little bit of a losing losing proposition. I, it would have been really hard as a fiduciary of shareholder OPM like other people's money to go buy hardware when, at the current point in time, you're faced with like three year three year paybacks. Um, that being said, it's worked out incredibly well for those that did buy hardware. Um, probably couldn't have predicted the sort of environment they'd be operating in or or the the returns they've been generating since then. So it's like, it's been an incredible investment. Um, If you get the window right, this is a brilliant business. And I think long-term as the sector matures, as there's more manufacturer options for hardware, and there's just more visibility in terms of like sectoral coverage amongst the buy side research reports, um, you know predictability and cash flows and earnings on a quarter over quarter basis. Like you start to bring some real world or like old world, like generalist large cap uh, blue chip money into this sector, which just continues to foster it, uh, continues to support new entrants, continues to um, sort of just just uh, help with the evolution of new products available within this space. And and one thing that was interesting that I didn't mention on um, just just. Capitalizing or cannibalizing demand with pro shares last week versus some of the other mining pro or crypto proxies is if the fact that they did start trading last week at an all-time high was as, pretty much as good as it gets like for, for a, the launch of a new product like this and to see you know, a billion in AUM in two days, the trading volumes they got is like, it's an incredible. It could, like as an asset manager listing a new product, it really does not get any better than that. Like good, good for them, timing couldn't have been better. Same with us, like listing a product at, the, at a, you know, a thematic product in the crypto mining markets in, in July when we were trading at 30, $30 $31,000 BTC. And where we're at today, couldn't have could have been better as well, but, but you don't always get the timing right. But, but the trend that I saw last week was very different than CoinShares listing debut in March, where I think you did see a fairly obvious cycle of capital out of some of the miners and other proxies into CoinShares uh, shortly like on its first day of trading and shortly thereafter we didn't really necessarily see the same everything was on the same trend right a rising tide lifts all ships like everybody was trading really really well last week as the excitement um surrounding like investments uh with exposure to this asset class was was also at all-time high alongside btc so um yeah i mean it's excited to see where things go, but uh, challenges all over the place managing projects with products within the sector. And sorry it's, for the, it's uh, crazy the to I was gonna say my to difficulties, my headset died,
0: but I'm I'm back. <laughs> no, no problem at all. I was just gonna say it's crazy to to think about what you said. That, like, the growth for most of these mining companies, especially the market leaders, is still to come. And sort of the, the China crackdown and hash rate drop, coupled with the surge in hash rate we've seen coming from American companies. Like in large part has kind of been coincidental because a lot of this new hash rate is from projects obviously that were planned two three years ago and are now just coming online and we have this huge surge in investor and build out interest in North America as hash rate migrates from China with a whole new sort of tranche of projects that are still to come uh, the growth is just going to be insane but uh, something David was talking about for a minute there was whether or not he had he's surprised by some of the growth and performance in some of these stocks. And as sort of rigs is like a, a more pure like mining uh, investment vehicle, I, w- I want to toss the same question to you. Like, are you surprised, I guess, by some of the the growth multiples you've seen by particular companies, and more specific to your ETF? Are you at all surprised by any um, any of the allocations you have now in terms of weighting based on your standards and methodologies and stuff? Or is all of it sort of standard and I guess, kind of in line with what you expected in a, a bullish crypto and then by default bullish mining uh, market also? Uh, has anything surprised you? Uh,
2: look, I mean, um, as, a, as a CFA by training and somebody that's built out, i over a thousand DCF models, for sure, for for banking clients. Is, in the twelve years as a as a former investment banker, like I like I like math, I like modeling, I like forecasting and stress testing, like models to sort of underpin a methodology on a public valuation. Um, but even you know, I will admit, managing an active product in this sector before we put a trade on, I do find myself trolling Reddit forums and like some of the boiler rooms because like frankly, like the guys with the biggest guys with the premium multiples without question have the biggest reddit or stock to its following. And it's just like more eyes on the story and tend to trend well when when markets are headed in one direction or another. Um, but, you know, the mining sector in itself, like is, you know, we've gotten into this about benchmarking a little bit um, historically, Zach, but like the thing about rigs is, you know, if, if we had the a diversified, like a, a big enough sector to go 100% pure play, renewable-based mining operations. That would have been our intention with the product day one. But the fact is there weren't enough names to meet all of the sort of regulatory um, diversification thresholds that we have to meet in an active in an active product. So we hold the semiconductor companies and we also have a cash position. Um, and, and back to the China crackdown, like you can't necessarily benchmark a miner's performance against like like just the price evolution in in one of the digital assets because again with that with that you know all things equal a year from now the miners will likely be worse performers than BTC just given the fact that hash rate's going to increase and the profitability of your hardware is going to decrease if, if BTC price was static. Um, that being said we also have um you know the semiconductor allocation which I mean, frankly, the names that we own, like NVIDIA, AMD, et cetera, have done very well and been very stable in the portfolio and helped us outperform BTC in times of like a market sell-off, which also sort of has its benefits to, to investors. But the, my, the investing in the mining business in general, like a digital asset inventory, the ability to produce like very, very high margins, especially in the current environment, that like 90% gross mining margin running 30 Joule equipment at four cents power. It's uh, you know, you've got an industrial scale real business that underpins these ops and theoretically, as this evolves, should provide more downside production, just putting a multiple on that cash flow than and then, you know, in, in a market where BTC is selling off or Ethereum is selling off. Um, so, so uh, you know, in terms of portfolio allocation for the generalist retail investor, like product like RIGS or owning the mining equities directly, I think is having an allocation there makes sense long term, especially if you believe in the stagflation or hyperinflationary horizon uh, ahead of us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I appreciate the answer. Sorry. Um, I I just kind of want to wrap up with one question here. Uh, there's there's obviously a lot going on in crypto generally um, and a lot happening in the mining sector. And as we just touched on a minute ago, a lot more to come. Um, what we're sort of at the top, almost at the top of the hour. What are one or maybe two key things you guys are looking towards uh, between, say, like now and the next, having maybe in a shorter time frame, like now and maybe the end of of this current like bullish market cycle, if we hit a little bit of a sell off in the next year or so, um, in terms of like growth predictions or maybe a huge batch of new public listings or, or I don't know, anything um, just sort of forward looking some, some expectations there. Wes, uh, I'll hand back to you if you don't mind. And then David, I uh, want to hear your, your expectations, I guess, also.
2: Um, I think there's definitely enough uh, hype and eyes on the market that there's, there's going to be without question, you know, between now and May or or March or April of 2024, we're going to see, I, I, don't, I don't know what my guess would be at least probably 15 other 20 other publicly listed miners. And especially if we're in the same sort of BTC environment or stronger, uh, you know, capital, people are capitalists and entrepreneurs will respond to uh, momentum based market opportunities and small projects will see the valuations that some of these public equities are trading at and chase, big dollars in terms of liquidity events, et cetera. And you, you mentioned Fortress, David. Fortress was uh, was a banking client of mine. I raised them their first 15 million and found them their shell back in 2000. I think it started in November, 2017. So also very familiar with that name. Um, it's it's called, sort of been trading pretty sideways with, a two and a half megawatt facility in Washington for years. And just this year, you know, signed the agreement with, with, with Marty over at GAM and, and sort of off the races with a profit sharing container-based build out. And, uh, but look, like, like there's, there's names that are now trading the public markets that I'm shocked to see trading in the public markets, like, like groups that had, had been talking to us at BitFarms about just putting them out of their misery and acquiring their facilities and taking the equipment off their hands and that are that are now sitting on you know, millions of dollars worth of stock as the founders of the company that had you know good positions as, as founders. Um, so and, but heading in the next halving, like look, the first few months of the halving in in May June, July, August of 2020. 2020 were terrible like let's not sugarcoat anything like sitting at eight cent revenue per terahash i made some predictions on a few webcasts back then that we'd see like a 50 or 60 percent pullback in hash rate and i'm actually embarrassed but but also shocked to that that it didn't necessarily play out that way which just suggests that you know don't be surprised when there are you know, groups running S9s profitably off stolen power in some like third world jurisdiction. And that's a significant component of the networks. And ultimately, as a miner scaling a business, it's up to you to find low cost power and always be upgrading your hardware and running the best equipment possible so that you can have the lowest cost Terahash in terms of production, like joules times price per times 24 hours a day times your price per kilowatt hour. So, the cost of running a terahash has to be lower than the vast majority of your peers, and you'll have a business that continues to generate positive margins when others aren't.
0: Uh, a lo- also, a lot to unpack there, uh, Wes. <laughs> I really enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, David, uh, just to wrap up, last question, but same question to you. Uh, just anything like notable or you're big you're expecting um, from, I guess, crypto mining more specifically than crypto generally uh, between now and the next you know, couple of years, uh, maybe even up to the halving?
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would probably say two things. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more companies coming to the market. Uh, I think we're going to keep seeing that. Crypto activities in general, probably crypto, um, uh, Bitcoin mining as well. But I would probably say two things. Number one, I'm interesting to see if at some point you're going to see, uh, more MA activity. So like the bigger companies buying the smaller ones, uh, the ones that make sense. I think, uh, if, uh, scale is something that makes sense in this industry, I wonder if at some point we're going to start to see uh, more more, more M&A activity. And the second thing is I'm interested in seeing what other types of jurisdictions we're going to start seeing as interesting mining hubs. Uh, I'm born and raised in South America. Well, I know Bitfarms is is making bets in Argentina and Paraguay. Uh, I I think that this this could be an interesting hub uh, for, for Bitcoin mining going forward. Uh, and it will develop and, and become more promptly than it is. But at any rate, I, I would be interested in seeing what other locations we're going to start to see as uh, effective and, and important uh, centers for, for, for Bitcoin mining.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. We had a great stream a few weeks back with some South American miners who are pretty bullish on the industry down there. Yeah. Uh, But I want to welcome and I want to thank you guys both for jumping on the stream. Uh, Both of these guys can be found on Twitter along with Riggs and Bitwise. So be sure to give both of them a follow. Uh, thank you again so much for joining on the stream and talking about public mining stocks with us and public mining firms in general. If you like the show and you like the stream, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. We're almost at 3,000 subs, which is pretty awesome after only about two or three months of doing these shows. You can also find this in podcast form on any platform you like. Uh, but otherwise, that's a wrap for us today. I want to thank Zach, Wes, and Dave for jumping on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks.